All right, good evening. Thank you all for joining us as we embark on our finance committee meeting for September 2022. And we will open with uh, roll call. Trustee Esteem. Here. Trustee Blue. Here. Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Fox and Trustee Splendorio are excused, but they do have, we do have a quorum. Thank you for saying that. That's right. It, just to orient everyone, I am chairing the meeting tonight uh, because Trustee Fox is away. And uh, our it's next like item, the good old days, Jan. <laughs> just like the good old days. <laughs> Flashback. Uh, now we will move on to item A1. Uh, Ahmad, do you have to say this or do I? Yeah, uh, Trustee Esteem, this is uh, essentially allows us to conduct hybrid meetings. Uh, and um, the reason why your finance committee's doing that tonight is because um, the board uh, hasn't met yet this month. So uh, you're, so we first have to approve this um, uh, for us to continue this meeting. Right. I move approval. Thank you. Is there a second? Second. All right. Thank you so much. May we have a roll call? All right. Trustee Esteen. Yes. Trustee Fox. I'm sorry. Trustee Blue. Apologies. Yes. And Trustee Friedman. Yes. Great. The motion passes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, if anyone has uh, changes they'd like to make to the minutes, please do so or else we can approve them. If I hear a motion. I move. Second. Thank you. Ready for a roll call. Trustee Esteem. Yes. Trustee Blue. Yes. Trustee Friedman. Yes. The motion passes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, now I would like to ask everyone just to hold a moment of silence as we have lost a member of our staff recently, unexpectedly, and we are sending uh, lots and lots of prayers to the family. Thank you. Uh, for the chair report tonight, I am going to give a brief update. There was an article that our chair, Trustee Fox, uh, sent around, which is quite interesting somewhat complicated reading about uh, CMS and the way that funding is gonna be distributed this year. Lots of good news in here about increases in payments compared to the previous fiscal year. Um, if you just look at the highlights, we're getting a 4.3% increase for hospital inpatient services, which is a full percent plus higher than what was initially proposed. And it is gonna increase payments by many millions of dollars, which will be a benefit to our institution. It's the biggest bump in pay in 25 years and will be really, really great. They also made an official birthing friendly hospital designation, which Highland Hospital is, is that correct? Am I making that up? Or do we have a different family friendly mother I'm going to just completely mess up the name. We, 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 we do have family birthing. I just don't know if it qualifies in this uh, in this new designation. So we, we, I, we could, I could follow up and report back next time. We are designated a baby friendly 
just that's the one baby friendly which means we have well-qualified lactation consultants services for prenatal care and for birthing for new moms which is super when we think about uh, outcomes for people in our community and all the folks that we serve and that is the abbreviated chair report i'm gonna let the business be done because now we get to hear from our chief financial officer with a really excellent preliminary year-end report. Okay, um, I, just one comment on this article. It, it overall was really good news for us. The one thing I wanted to, to call out, although it is a, a, the biggest increase in 25 years, our current inflation rate is far beyond what the increase is. Um, but still, CMS recognized, you know, um, quite a few issues in, you know, that have been hanging out there for some time. Uh, so overall, a, a really good re report, a uh, good article, good news for us. Do you mind if I start with the June preliminary financials and then move to the July? Go right ahead. All right. So let me go ahead and do that. Oh, here we go. It's all right like this, I hope so. Okay, so these are the June preliminary financial statements and we still are going to undergo our audit and there will be many audit adjustments. There are every year. Um, we have uh, uh, adjustments to behavioral health from the county funding because we're always a couple of months in arrears. We also have a look back analysis on our net revenue uh, that the auditors perform. Uh, in the regard to supplemental programs, there's always changes. So when a change happens, we'll need to incorporate that. Measure A is also in arrears, the funding, so we'll need to true that up. Um, the foundation and AHS, our financials need to match, so the foundation needs to do their year-end reporting. And then there's several expense-related items, the remaining actuarial reports, interest on our NNB, and uh, also uh, there's going to be an adjustment for registry because the invoicing was a little behind, and then there's the inventory valuation. So still lots of changes. Um, uh, Trustee Fox wanted me to go ahead and walk through this with you since a lot of the information is, is valuable because it's a year over year. Um, in January, after we do our audit, I'll give another presentation uh, with more uh, trends. So, so here we go. Here's the volumes. Um, what you will notice here. So I get my notes for this. So many presentations today. So some notes. Uh, our acute discharges are below budget 2.9 and 9.7%. So what that's telling us is we um, provided service to fewer individuals, um, but our patient days are actually up uh, for the month and pretty flat for the year. So our patient days are still not quite where they were pre-COVID, but our length of stay has really jumped up to 6.1. Uh, some of this is coming from John George, so it's not all the acute care hospitals. ED visits are still 10% year-to-date, 
below our budget, which was pre-COVID levels. So this service change has not um, recovered since COVID. Our trauma cases, however, are pretty flat. So that's consistent with pre-COVID. Um, our surgeries are up in the month, but overall still below pre-COVID levels, but better than you know last year. So slowly our service mix is going, getting back to pre-COVID levels. In our uh, skilled nursing, uh, we're still very challenged with COVID outbreaks. Uh, although we're slightly improved over last year, we are still definitely not where we were pre-COVID. There's just so many restrictions that you know need to take place to protect our staff and patients. Clinic visits, um, we are showing that we're 5.4% above the previous year. Uh, the only issue with clinic visits is we include vaccines as a visit. So I think that's really kind of inflating the total visits that we have. We do know that our primary care providers are um, below where we were pre-COVID, so we're trying to recruit. Uh, so I think that the vaccines are skewing this a little bit. But if you look at physician work RVUs, yes, we're pretty high in June, pretty flat, which means we're almost to pre-COVID in overall physician activity. So, so that is good news. So here we sit, net income, 105.8 million better than budget in the month and 203.8 million over year to date uh, for EBITDA or our cash flow, we call it, earnings before interest depreciation and amortization were 69.3 better than budget and 164.1 better. So this is a record year for AHS. AHS has not seen a year like this since its inception. So. What made this happen? Here's our revenue slide. You can see that um, overall for the year, we're about 2% above budget. Uh, June was 10.7, so quite a busy month in June, driven by patient days. Uh, and our net collections are um, for the year 105.3 better than budget. So our collection ratio was 19.3%. It did include one-time items that we talked about before for, you know, a, a triage, uh, collecting on low pays, United Health giving us trauma funding. The previous year collections, our auditors had had us take a negative adjustment since we hadn't collected our accounts receivable and some cost report settlements. So we did have help from prior year, but still record performance, and we are doing a much better job on collecting our accounts. If you look at supplemental fundings, we're actually over 144.8, 76 of it just from the month of June. So really, um, you know, significant over, over budget. So really helping our bottom line. And if you look at what this is, it's the Medi-Cal waiver, which includes the ARPA funding, which we did not know we would be receiving. But we also settled GPP for many years at a higher amount of money than we had reported. Some of that is because of the threshold for GPP points, they eliminated it. So we were able to get more funding and that was a COVID uh, related decision. Uh, measure A, 
uh, we had thought with the pandemic that the sales tax receipts would go down. They have not. They continue to go up. So that was a nice increase. And then supplemental fundings. Um, we found out we we're going to be able to keep all of the FY20 realignment money, 40.8 million. We had been originally told that the CARES funding was going to be included in the revenue. And if we had done that, we would not qualify to keep the realignment. So uh, that adjustment allowed us to report it for FY20, which is a huge pickup in the month of June. And then in addition to that, uh, there's quite a few other items that closed out higher than we had expected. So on the expense side, uh, in the month of uh, June, we actually have a positive variance, first time all year, and we'll talk about that on the next slide. Other than that, the expenses are consistent. It's the same report every month I've been giving. Um, basically, we did not budget enough for the COVID-related expenses. That's what it comes down to, and there's nothing new there other than we continue to be over budget. So here's the labor. Um, I'm going to go right here to the retirement. We accrued the ACERA um, retirement expense, which was a credit of $38 million. So what happened is in the calendar year of FY21, our returns were so great that we are able to reduce our long-term liability and reduce our current year labor expense. And when we get to the 10-year look back, we'll talk a little bit more about how the, how the ACERA um, actuarial report has significant swings or causes significant swings in our labor costs. Again, um, the labor shortage is causing us to be, um, have a huge rate variance for registry and our own staff over time. We are over in June 106 FTE, but year to date, we're actually under. So this entire variance is rate related. That's how much the, the costs have gone up. So this is our balance sheet. Just a couple things here. We did finish the year with a higher AR balance, um, not the direction we wanted to go. Um, and I have a slide on that in just a second. And on our net position, we are in continuing to improve. I mean, if you look at where we were last year with a net position of a negative 280.5, we've dropped that to negative 54.7 in one year. So that the improved performance is definitely had a positive impact on AHS fund balance. And our net negative balance or our line of credit with the county is actually positive. We have positive cash sitting in the treasury, not negative as we did in 2021. So huge improvement on our uh, debt. This is the AR slide that we did pick up. This is not the trend we want. Um, and in June, um, the state typically withholds the Medi-Cal payments. They did it again, that was 12.7 million. But the biggest part of this was an outsourcing to Parareg. Uh, we didn't have the process set up to post the transactions from Parareg into Epic. 
And so we are working that through. We still are behind even as of the end of July. You'll see that in my July report, but we're finally turning the corner. So this will allow us to make sure that we have the adequate uh, staffing to um, appropriately work our accounts. Uh, down here, PB, professional billing, not really a lot to report there. It's kind of just hanging its own and it's doing pretty well. We do have uh, targets now from here on. So our target for HB is 57, that's hospital billing, and for PB is 33. Any questions on the preliminary financial statements? Can you tell us a little bit about Pararev, this AR project? Yeah, so um, what we did is we outsourced our lower dollar um, accounts receivable. We just didn't have enough staff internally to work those accounts. So uh, the decision was made to go ahead on the small dollar ones, send them out to Pararev, and then they will work the accounts and then we'll post the transactions back into our system. Thank you for explaining that. And congratulations on the huge, huge, huge strides made with the net negative balance not being negative. So we can turn that into an oxymoron. And then, you know, just, it seems like all of the, the goals that we've been setting, the best initiative, the work that you've been doing over the last two and a half years, Kim, and your tenure, just remarkable. This is really great. Thanks to the executive team. Uh, thank, thank you, Jennifer, for those kind words. Uh, I have an incredible revenue cycle team, our IT team, this executive leadership team. Everyone has pulled together to make this happen. That This is not something any one or even a handful of people can do. This is, is, uh, is really proof that um, we have built a cohesive team uh, and that we are all rowing in the same direction. It, to me, it is, uh, it's, it's, I guess I, what I've been saying is proof is in the pudding. <laughs> it's the cash. <laughs> I mean, it's happened. And, it, and it's everybody. All right, so I move on to the uh, July report. Yes, please. Can you look back? Everybody see that okay? Thank you. All right, so this is our first month of the new fiscal year. And as uh, you may all recall, we had 46.5 million of performance improvement initiatives built in this budget, and we built them flat. We didn't ramp up. We just divided by 12 and said, we're going to hit the ground running in July. And uh, I have great news. We made our budget in July. So the variance is, uh, you know, less than, you know, it's like 0.89 here negative and, and you know, 12,000 uh, for EBITDA. So we really basically hit budget. Um, because this is such a big deal for AHS, 
Uh, and the performance improvement initiatives will be reported out in detail every other month, starting next month, you know, item by item, how we're doing. We've got metrics to track everything. But I wanted to give just a high level um, since it is just uh, so critical that we hit these to achieve our budget. So here we are in July. Although we have some mixed performances within the, the different initiatives, we actually hit our budget. So uh, great start to the year. So here is our net revenue slide. And you can see right off the bat there, our net patient services is 6.7 million or 11.5% above our budget. Some of that is volume. We had a lot of additional patient days, um, but most of it's coming from the collection ratio. Um, we continue to do a better job on um, collecting on our accounts. And so we were able to take in revenue um, based on our ZBA, our zero balance, balance analysis on paid accounts. And also we saw an uptick in commercial trauma cases and those um, do pay very well. Um, and so we are realizing some additional funds from those commercial payers. And uh, I think pretty much that's that slide. Let's go to the, nope, nope. And let's stay, stay here for a minute on our uh, other operating revenue, government programs are right on budget. We don't have any new information, so we're just accruing to budget. We're a little off on the operating revenue, but that is really just a timing difference on the receipts from the foundation parking and pharmacy. So great month on the revenue side. On the operating expense side, we are over budget 6.5 million. All, all of that in labor costs. We have an offset in purchase services. Uh, in the month of July, a lot of it is timing differences, including our best contingency fee. We don't pay that until we realize the benefit. And so in July, we didn't have the total payout amount that we uh, had expected since we did it over a flat period of time. And you'll see more on those initiatives again next month when we report in detail. The uh, labor expenses, the salary and wages continue to be high, 3.2 over. We did have 52 more FTE. Just to bring everybody back to those volumes, our, our patient days were high and our length of stay was high. So if we have more patient days, we need more staff. So we were over budget in quantity of FTE, um, but the rate variance is where you see the big significant overage. And we budgeted that registry rates would equal our own internal staff rates. And that is still not the case. Um, the demand for registry remains high and we're still paying a premium for it. And you can see I put a, I kind of put the run rate of where we've been running so that you can see that this actual is not really above where we've been running at all. So it's pretty consistent. So this is the FTE and volume graph. And you can see our FTEs jumped up and our uh, volumes are, are also higher than budget. You can see the red line below there. And this is the balance sheet. And here you can see our days in AR came down a little bit. And I'll show you a slide on that in a minute. Um, the 
Net position here continues to go down. We're at 50.7. Again, that's if we just closed down tomorrow and paid our debts, we would owe 50.7 million. Our net negative balance is a positive still at 56.6 million. So it continues to improve. Here's the AR uh, graph. We kind of jumped around a bit, but ended higher than where we were last month. Here's my update on the Pararev. Um, we are we started working that AR down. Um, it was three million in the month of July, but it will start to pick up because we've got our processes set up. We just need to post all of those transactions into Epic. Um, our uh, HB uh, cash was higher because of the release of Benetal funds. So we did actually achieve or actually received those funds. So that was good news in our AR. And PB just continues to do quite well. You know, they dropped down a little more. And see how close they are to target. Here's the cash collections. 74.3 million is a great month. A lot of it coming from the county, but still even 63 million is a strong month. So great news there. And this is our line of credit forecast. Uh, it's so nice not to see it going up over our NNB um, ceiling. And we are, as long as we can hit our performance improvement, we should not have any issues hitting our line of credit max. And because of that, I removed the red line representing the recoupments. Here's the, the chart. I do want to point out, see how we go up in our line of credit up through January, and then it comes sharply down. So you might ask why, and this chart explains it. The cash flow in these months is a lot less than the cash flow in these other months. So a lot of these supplemental funding, large dollar amounts come in between January and June. So that's why we see the NMB go down in that last six months. I didn't want to just drop off the recruitments because the waiver recruitment is, is real. We're gonna pay that. There's no doubt about that. That's our estimate, 16.2 million. I still don't know when we're gonna pay it, but I'm sure we'll pay it. The medical recruitment, you know, we're still talking to the state. So, you know, I, I don't have anything that will allow me to change the liability on our books, but I do not believe we will need to pay that those funds. And uh, hopefully this will come to some sort of an agreement with the state here in the next few months. And the physician spa, I also don't think we're gonna need to make this or this high of a payment. We might have to pay something back, but the current years, which they're settling first, are actually settling close to our estimates. So I'm um, of the opinion, although the data is not as good in our old legacy systems, that we will not actually need to pay that full amount. So maybe I'm optimistic, but I'm not, uh, I, we're not gonna talk, we're not gonna have the red line anymore and I'll just keep these below and just give you an update each time. Any questions on that? Thank you for giving us that uh, two month report back to back. Uh, the next set of items is gonna be also full of good information. Uh, and you're welcome to do it in the order listed on the agenda or in any order you like. 
right. So what's the first one on the agenda there? And I'll just go in the agenda order. Final budget with retirement. All right. Final budget. Here. All right, can you see that okay? Yeah. All right. So um, if you might recall, we in June we approved the FY23 budget. And when we did, we, the motion had a stipulation that would allow us to update the budget for the ACERA actuarial report. This is a, a material um, amount of um, expense that we need to report in our books. And because of the volatility of it, We've made the decision over the last few years just to go ahead and update the budget for it. It is not a cash item, but it is an expense item that we have to uh, record on our books. And it was, again, positive, uh, which means that our investment returns were higher than what we had or what was expected. And so our long-term liability is going down, causing a credit on our income statement. So what that did is we are going to record $33.4 million as an expense, increasing our um, decreasing our labor costs because it's a credit. So our labor went from $862.4 to $821.9, or basically $829. So we're seeing that credit reduce our expense, and then we're adding it back to get to EBITDA. So EBITDA does not change at all, 44.6, but look at our net income. It goes from 12 to 45.4. So by making this adjustment, we won't be talking about this every single month, but it does not change our EBITDA or our expected cash flow. But what I did want to report to the committee is a change um, that occurred with this budget and the timing of the long-range strategic plan. And this is something, Ron, I do want to make sure we get in the minutes. So uh, basically, Huron, uh, when we developed the long-range strategic plan, did not have this the benefit of this final approved budget because we basically approved both at the same time, if you will. So now we need to update the long-range strategic plan for the final budget. And then that will change the cash flows that were in both my presentation and the long-range strategic plan. So the budget cash flows and the um, long-range strategic plan. And why this is important is that our expenses uh, did go up in the budget. And if we don't make changes to the long-range strategic plan, we will need to go into debt to fund the long-range plan. And the board did not approve us going into debt to fund the long-range strategic plan. That was never our intent. So now uh, we are going back uh, with Huron and we are working on um, projecting our cash flows using this budget as the baseline. So I wanted just to make sure everybody's aware of that. We're not in a position to bring back the long-range strategic plan 
tonight, but we do need to look at the financials that support the plan. So although I don't think we're gonna change the initiatives in the plan, we may change timing, we may add some other initiatives, uh, but we will need to come back to make sure we don't go into debt to um, realize the long range strategic plan. When you bring that back to us, Kim, with Huron, uh, will we need to make some kind of approval of the revisions here in the Finance Committee and then again in the full board? So that's probably a, an Ahmad uh, question. Uh, Chair Estini, so uh, it will really depend on, uh, that'll be a conversation with uh, Chair Fox, uh, whether or not this was, uh, you know, informative enough or it put you on notice enough. Uh, it, the Finance Committee is a, a, a body that recommends uh, uh, approval to the full board. So if the trustees wanted to go back through that, uh, through finance back to the full board, we can certainly do that. Um, but the full board will ultimately uh, approve the plan. Okay, so then when that information comes back, Kim, will you be able to just bring it to us at the full board so that we can hear it all? Yeah, I you know I think that would be good. I I I would expect that that the the board will be uh, very interested in it because I know there's uh, some um, initiatives that I think are really important that that you know that will be included. So uh, I just think it's going to take a little bit of time to work through it all. Uh, so um, absolutely be happy to to bring it back here or to the board. Great, thank you so much. Do you know how long it'll be? Uh, I don't know if I might need some help with that. Um, I know Huron uh, is our partner in this, and I know that um, uh, we've engaged with them to help figure this out. I don't, I don't know if I can rely on James or Mark here. A rough estimate is, you know, In terms of length, um, Trustee Estine, how long will it be? Much time? Yeah, before we get this estimate back so we know adjustments it would be nice if we could do it next month um I, I i would i would hope um and ahmad if you could go back and look if at the if it originally was brought in front of the board for information or action that that would be helpful yeah <clears throat> because then if depending on what it was then i think trustee esteen would determine how we, what, if we put it down for information or action moving forward. Sounds great. That sounds great. Thank you for clarifying. Was that the, the end or did we interrupt you? Um, that was the end for that. I just wanted to give the final budget update and, and an update on the cash flows. Um, the Do we have any other here. investments that are going to give us big bonuses like that? Um, what was that? I'm sorry. <laughs> Do we have any other uh, investments that are going to come in and give us lots of money? Well, mm -hmm. I think that there are a few. We've got a, we've got a couple of pending lawsuits with Blue Cross and Blue Shield. We have, you know, the F2HC settlement. We have, there's quite a few things. There's also... Um, um, some operational things that we're working on. So I think that there's quite a bit actually. Moving in the right direction. Yes. 
And I and uh, you'll have to help me on this one, uh, Trustee Esteen. Is this an action item or just informational? In the minutes, in the agenda. This is informational. Uh, the final one when we get through. Wait, no, just kidding. Oh, this is this, this, is, this is action. Yeah. Okay. So and this it's recommendation uh, uh, to the full board for approval. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, a lot of work has gone into developing the True North metrics for fiscal year 23. Um, there's been a multidisciplinary group that has involved quality, value-based care, ambulatory population health, acute and nursing. Um, there's been a lot of review and, and folks have been evaluating the, the True North metric dashboard uh, they've developed a statement of purpose, they've refined guiding principles, they've done brainstorming, and they've really vetted the metrics. So there's some, some pictures there. A lot of work has, has, has gone into it. The statement of purchase uh, purpose I included here in my presentation, you know, they want it to be a pulse check. They want it to be of value to all of you, the staff and the community. Uh, it needs to evaluate how AHS is performing, and it needs to um, be aligned with the AHS strategic priorities. And we want to become the number one safety net health system in the country. So this is what we've come up with, and you, you'll have to recognize that it's too early for these other folks, quality and physician staff and experience to report. I'm giving you the July report. So I have the proposed sustainability or finance metrics here. And these are the ones that we are being asked to recommend for the board. Um, the, the first one is the QIP metrics on target. Uh, QIP is worth 63.5 million in our budget. So it's a, it's a big amount and it's based on achieving metrics. And QIP is a calendar year. So that's why we've got some, some strange looking goals. But our, the point here is we want to hit 90% of those metrics by December, because that's the FY22 calendar year end. And then half of them by next June, the end of the fiscal year for next year's calendar QIP. So the, the goal now is 82%, um, hoping to get to 90% by um, December. So um, that's how to read this metric. The second one is EBITDA margin. Um, we did have operating and EBITDA margin last year. We decided to go with EBITDA, that's earnings before interest, depreciation, and amortization, because it reflects cash flow. And we need cash to run the organization. Um, you know, we talked about the um, actuarial accrual for ACERA and how it can really skew your net income. And because it's not cash, it can really distort our actual cash flow for the organization. So we went with EBITDA. And then this third one, productivity percent for the organization. What this means is, if we're all hitting our productivity target, and that's based on our volumes, 
and we will be at 100%, right? In order to develop this metric, we have to know what the labor targets are for every single department in our organization. And that is something we've been working on for the last uh, few years. Uh, Mark Bratsky has, uh, you know, has been uh, really focusing in this area. And we are now at a point where it actually makes sense, right? We actually have labor standards for almost every department and they're pretty good. They're not perfect, but they're pretty good. So um, at this, so the target is 100%. That means everybody hit their mark, right? We're actually um, right now ahead of it. So we had a lot of patient days in July and we were able to beat our staffing and we came in slightly above at 101.5. So that's good news. We'll probably talk about this a lot more in finance committee. Uh, this hasn't been something we've talked about historically because we just didn't have those labor standards established. And I think I've kind of covered everything here, but this is the, the map. It's in the deck um, for definitions. And I did include some other information if the committee wants to look at it in the appendix. But um, if, if there's any questions, I'm happy to take them, or I'm sure I've got folks on the uh, attending tonight that can help as well. Trustees, do we have any questions about this metric? All right, well, we're gonna have to make a motion about accepting this as part of the new dashboard. If folks no, are interested, so no beautiful. All right, we have a silent second. <laughs> Last week, our quality uh, committee heard the origins of the, the True North metrics and it feels like it's all just kind of coming into place now. So can we have a roll call, please? Trustee Esteen. Yes. Trustee Blue. Yes. Trustee Friedman. Yes. The motion passes. Thank you. All right, Kim, that was the metrics. So now you have a choice between entity-based financial statement, which I'm excited to see, and a 10-year look back, which I'm also excited to see. Okay, so um, I'll start with the entity financial statements. So, um, Whipley was previously engaged by the um, previous finance committee. Um, so a few years ago, we started down a path on figuring out how to carve our financial statements and our general ledger up to where we could report on entities. So um, when Whipley came in, they looked at the 2021 budget, uh, and they made a, created a model for us. And then we went to, to implement it. And what we discovered is there's a lot of things that needed to change, like you know, how we expense security, for example, how we get physician costs to where the physician work, um, how we get other invoices that were in overhead out to where the cost actually incurred. So there was a lot of work going through this um, 
to what I'm going to present today, which is, by the way, still a work in process. The end game in this is to actually get to where we can um, have service line reporting uh, so that we can report on like behavioral health or cardiology. But in order to do that, you first have to get the right expenses to the place where the patient was seen. That's step one. Then you can cut across everything across the service line to actually report on a service line basis. So um, we are now rolling out the entity-based financial statements for FY23. And uh, Mark Kratzky has agreed to lead monthly operating review meetings with the leaders at the entity, which I think will really help us hone in and get these costs correct. So um, just to give you an idea of what it took to do this, you know, Epic was new. So we had to develop all new Epic reporting to get revenue to the right place. Because before we just reported it consolidated. We didn't look at whether we were collecting for IOP, for example, or for, you know, um, Highland Emergency. You know, we just, we just didn't look at it that way. It was all just one bundled group of revenue. Now we've um, built all of these reports so that we can accurately reflect net revenue in all of the, of the entities. We had to do the same for supplemental revenue because you know supplemental funds certain types of activities. And so we want to appropriately get that revenue to the area that's generating the activity. And I already talked quite a bit about shared expenses, but you know, we were allowing folks just to you know, invoice us on a consolidated basis. And now we had to change that process so we could get it down to the entity level. So this is what it looks like. And this is, uh, this is our first month doing this reporting. And I will talk about a few more things that need to happen here in just a minute. But um, you can see the collection ratios are different by entity because we're actually looking at EPIC reports overall 20%, which tied back to my financial statements. Here are all of our expenses. And I've got a contribution margin. You can see everybody here is negative except for Highland and San Leandro. Um, and we have not, we still have to allocate system overhead, which we've done way down here at the bottom. I think we probably want to move that up, but we can work on the, on the format as we go through this. And then over here, we've got um, net income before these allocations. So one of the big, uh, one of the items that we were really struggling with is, you know, for measure A, GPP and QIP, they, everybody is, you know, getting some benefit from these programs, but how do we allocate it, right? And so we're still having a lot of conversations about this. Not so much measure A, because we typically do that based on operating expenses, but for GTP and QIP, we are doing a deep dive into this. Um, and we are also involving the CAB for the FQs. Uh, we're involving ELT. And I'll, we'll come back with a proposal, um, hopefully for next month's financial statement, so that we can get this allocated out in a reasonable way. And then when we look at the bottom line, uh, at least for this month, San Leandro is the only one that had a profit. These results are fairly consistent with what Whitley presented to the board a year ago. 
So when we've got it going down to EBITDA here, so that's our cash flow. Um, we have a little issue here with depreciation we need to spread, but um, overall, I think we've got a pretty solid set of financials to build on. Here's what I think the next steps are. We need to add budget information and finalize our format. Um, my thought is on the budget, we could just do revenue, expense, and bottom line. Um, we have to finalize the QIP and GPP methodology. We want to make sure these collection ratios are not jumping every month all over the place. Um, we're going to find opportunities. We already have. Okay, there's you know, all of a sudden when you see, wow, something's we're not collecting enough over here, you go do the deep dive and you find an opportunity. Um, we're continuing to work on direct expensing. Uh, some great news here is uh, the physician expense. East Bay, you know, right now we've got it in East Bay Medical Group, we need it in AHS where the doctors work, right? So, uh, we've come up with a reporting methodology with East Bay Medical Group to allow us to give East Bay Medical Group their financials, but we can also report it within our entity-based financial statements. So that is, you know, we just got, we just developed this process and we'll be rolling it out. Uh, I talked about the monthly operating reviews and how important that is to help us validate and finalize the reporting and to find more um, opportunities for improvement. And then next year, we plan on doing the next level, which is then cutting across the entities to get to a service line. Any questions on that? How will this change what we just saw? You know, you just gave us June and July statements. Will this be an adjunct to that? Will there be some replacements? So... What we are planning to do is provide the entity-based financial statements every month in the packet that goes to finance committee. Um, I think we need to have budget information in there. We need to finalize some of these, these, these um, items here. Um, I would hope that we're fairly close in our estimates for the direct costs and the physician expense, but they are just estimates now. They're just based on, on allocation methodologies that Whipley came up with. So I think, um, you know, for me, I, we need to be a little, we need to be, I don't think it's appropriate just to do an allocation because we could mislead somebody on an opportunity at an entity level. So I wanna make sure we get it pretty close to right, to as accurate as we can possibly make it. Okay. This is great work. <laughs> Trustee yeah. Trustee I I'm hoping that the monthly operating reviews, um, they will literally be, I'll be in them, but they'll literally be, literally be led by the CAOs at every site. So that's why these site-based financials are so important. They will sit down around the table with the leadership team and walk through the budget for the month and understand why revenue was short or expenses were high in certain areas and develop plans for improvement around that so we can maintain best we can within our budget. We'll also re be reviewing employee injuries and what we can do to improve that. We'll look at site-based metrics um, that trans that kind of cascade, I guess, from the True North metric organizational scorecard. So there's a number of things that 
in an hour and a half to two hours every month that the entire leadership team at the site will be working on. And we're quite excited about it because it's a great time to educate. It's a great time to be accountable. It's a great time to share um, best practices across the organization, et cetera. If I may add to that, and it would be in addition, because I endorse what Marcus said, but the other part is accountability, because I think previously there was a lack of specific accountability at the various facilities because of the way that the reporting was done. What Mark and Kim have just articulated will really allow for ownership at the locations in a way that just didn't exist previously. Mm-hmm. Just to add on to that too, you know, the CAOs are there every day and they, they're seeing what goes on at their facility and being able to see the financial impact of that can only help them do a, a better job. So uh, I think this is, uh, I'm really excited about this and I think it's a, a great next step for uh, improving our accountability and really understanding our business, right? Yeah, yeah, this is granular detail. This is great. All right, so that is the entity-based financials. I, I did give you more information on methodologies if anybody wants to, you know, to do more reading on this, it's in your packet. Thank you. Do any other trustees have questions about that? I feel excited because when I was chairing this committee on a regular basis, we were talking about the advent of this, this uh, reporting and it. It was something like, it felt like it was going to be a long way away. And now here we are. So great to know that all the improvements can be made with details. And now we have the almost the final, final item getting there, guys. We're going to look at a 10-year look back, historical financial performance. Wow, you guys are, are, are doing great. I know that this is a lot of financial information. So <laughs> thank you for, for hanging in there with me here. Uh, so uh, this is the simplified 10-year financial look back. Um, and uh, just to give you background here, um, I'm sharing with you one of the two presentations that was given to the Alameda County Board of Supervisors AHS Governance and Ad Hoc Committee. Um, I haven't made any changes to this. This is the original presentation. So some general comments. They asked me for a simplified view of our historical financial statements. Um, I didn't want to include a whole bunch of financial statements in this. Uh, it really comes down to these two bullets here. Our net position is if we closed tomorrow, what would our debt be? Uh, and the second thing is how much do we owe in debt? And our NNB equals our cash balance in this. So those are that's how I can make this so simple or what I think is simple. We'll see what you all think. <laughs> Um, there were significant events that I'm going to talk about in the presentation. I listed them here just kind of telling you in advance the, the acquisition of San Leandro and Alameda, pension reform, COVID, and investments in Epic, San Leandro Rehab, and Alameda Seismic. The other thing I just want to tell you right up front, you know, our overall supplemental funding, including Measure A, has increased. 
Um, but it really has been relatively stable. It might go up or down in a year or two, but if you look at it over many years, it's really very stable. Um, just a reminder who we serve, uh, Medi-Cal primarily. Uh, and you can see Medicare has been increasing and our other government and self-pay have been decreasing and that's because of the Accountable Care Act, expanding access to Medi-Cal. And Medicare has been growing as, you know, aged population. They did drop off a little bit in 21, and I'm thinking that related to COVID. Our um, uh, highest paying is the commercial business, but that is a very small part of our business. Um, Medicare, we actually do okay with on. Um, and for Medi-Cal, fee-for-service inpatient is where we have, we struggle the most on. So this is the big picture. Uh, in fact, probably I could just stop after the slide, <laughs> but uh, I wanted just to, you know, just to take a step back and give the big picture view. So what I did here is I show the revenue as the blue line, the red line is the expenses, and the green line is our volume. It's adjusted patient days. So in 12, 13, and 14, that was before Alameda um, and San Leandro joined us. So our volumes were down. Um, when they joined, our volumes picked up quite a bit and so did our expenses. And there you can see the, the difference between the red and the blue line. That means we had a loss, right? So that loss was driven by the acquisition of the two hospitals and also pension reform. You can see actually in 16, we had a profit. We had all of this volume and all of a sudden we were able to bring that revenue up and show a profit. We were pretty much break even in 17. Um, then our losses came back in 18 and 19 and that is driven by that GASB required retirement expense. So that expense was big in those years causing us a loss. <laughs> And then if you look over here, our volumes dropped, that was COVID, but the COVID funding helped us to keep from losing significant amounts of money. And we also, during this time, were able to invest, uh, which we see in terms of depreciation for Epic, San Leandro Rehab, and the Alameda Seismic. This next slide is basically the same big picture except for that I'm doing it based on adjusted patient days and FTEs. And I'm doing that because FTEs or labor is our biggest expense. So when you look at, at this graph before we um, brought on Alameda and San Leandro, we had a quite a big gap between FTEs and our adjusted patient days. We actually got more efficient we were actually able to do a lot more volume with, with proportionately fewer FTEs. And that is still the case. Um, over here with COVID, we jumped up, but we had to pay for a lot of COVID leaves. Uh, and we, in some departments, reached minimum staffing levels. So therefore we couldn't uh, flex down. So that's what happened here. This is definitely you know, a COVID anomaly. But um, this graph to me and, and to the committee is we really did get a lot more efficient after we uh, brought on those 
to hospitals. And then this is the actual financial statement. And I'm not going to walk you through all of this because we'll be here all night, but I'm just going to point out a couple of things here. Um, the supplemental funding here, you can see 178, 184, 176, 148, 171. It jumps around. However, um, if you recognize in 2015, we took a hit for these previous years for the recruitments. We recorded a liability, which reduced the supplementals in 15. It really should have reduced these years before that. And you can see when we did that, we also had the biggest loss we've ever had. And the other thing I want to point out is in 2014, Sutter did give us 12.4 million uh, to help us with the acquisition of San Leandro. And as a reminder, both hospitals were losing money when we took them on. So if I go to the, the next slide, which again is supposed to be simplified, this is just looking at that net position, uh, meaning if we close down tomorrow, what do we owe? And what this is telling us is in 2012 and 13, we really didn't owe a lot of money. We looked pretty good. Then something changed and it changed significantly to where we went from basically zero to 285.2 million of uh, debt position, a negative position. And so you ask me, what did it? It's right here. It's our net income losses. And that is directly from when we first acquired San Leandro and Alameda. Both hospitals were losing money, right? So those losses hit our books. And then look at this, the pension refund. That's even a bigger number, bigger than the acquisition. So we had to start recording our future liability for uh, most of this. It's for all pensions, but the ACERA for us is the most expensive. So we had to record that onto our books and boom, we ended up with this large net negative position. I also want to point out here at the bottom, 2014, all-time high on the NNB, 171. So um, now I'm looking at the next five years, 2017 to 2021. And again, I'm not going to walk you through all of this. I'm just going to point out a couple of things. The first one being here on supplemental funding again. Look at how it went 170, 298, 284, 331, 255. Well, in 2020, uh, we were able to negotiate a retro payment from the county for John George with $44.7 and then in addition to that, we um, recorded realignment funding of $40 million in this year that we ended up having to have to give back in 21. So again, if you leveled all this out, it really doesn't change. It didn't change that significantly. It's these one time and the timing of when we recognize certain things. And then I want to go down here to the people costs, the expense side of things. Let's see a big jump here. And people cost in 19, that's the year that we had the all-time highest expense we needed to record for Sarah. It was 61 million, just to give you a, an idea. In 16, it was 16 million. 
So that's how much that grew and it happened in 19 and that caused the biggest negative variance here. Then if I look at the net position, which is netting everything out, um, you know, we're starting out in 17, pretty much where we were in 16. But look at this, it really doesn't change that much. It goes up a little bit here, but it's pretty consistent. It's it's not, it's not, um, there's not anything that happened in here or or two that 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 caused it. Um, a few things to point out in addition is if you look at EBITDA here, we actually generated cash in every year. We did not do that in the prior five years, right? Um, and look at the NNB. We got it down. You know, 62 would jump up a little bit and then back down to 14.5. So I'll call this a you know kind of a stabilization here. Um with improved NNB, improved AR days, lots of positive things happening. This is my slide on the impact of GASB and the retirement plan. This I think causes a lot of people a lot of um a lot of uh, unrest or confusion because it's not a cash item. We don't actually write a check, but we have to record it on our income statement. And it changes depending upon the financial markets, what our returns are on our assets. So what I did here just to kind of uh, show you how it can have a significant impact on how our financials look, I've got the net income each year here. I have the amortization, so it started in 15. We didn't have to do it before that. So it started at 16.4 million and grew all the way up to 61 million in 19. And now look, in 21, it's a credit. We're actually reducing our expense. And it's a credit again in 22. And I just reported to you tonight, in 23, it's again a credit. It's even a bigger credit, right? So when it's a credit, it's basically reducing our net income, but we don't actually write a check for it. So we can add it back to evidence. That's how it works. What's important to see is we are, look at this, generating cash, which is allowing us to make investments in Alameda Health System. So just a couple um, slides on just to, you know, questions they had about Measure A, how's it going? We have gone up every year except for the COVID year, um, but it recovered you know, pretty nicely in 21. And it did, I, uh, in 22, we know it went up again. So Measure A has uh, recovered uh, nicely. The NNB balance, I mean, look at this, we're actually positive. If I added, if I was gonna update this deck, we would actually be $56 million positive. We, we don't even have a negative balance anymore. Uh, I mean, the last few years have been, you know, had a hugely positive impact on AHS. And then I just have a few, you know, comments that I made to the uh, to the committee. Uh, and that is that we're the a safety net. So typically, you know, Medicare, uh, Medi-Cal, they don't, you know, they don't provide money to generate profit. Most, you know, systems get profit from commercial business. Uh, so we're not, it's not set up to, to for us to generate a profit. Um, there were one-time events that had a significant impact on our financial picture. 
and that's those acquisitions and pension reform. And although we may have a loss in net income, our cash flow has been positive in recent years, and that's allowed us to make significant capital investments. I mean, Epic was 101.3 million, San Leandro 26.7, and so far Alameda 22.7 for seismic. And we've been able to, to pay this. And the NNV is at an all-time low. And yes, it's going to fluctuate because our supplementals fluctuate, and that's you know almost half of our revenue. Um, so uh, we've seen great improvement in the revenue cycle post-EPIC. You know, a lot of work, we talked about that tonight. Uh, all of AHS has really stepped up, and we see it in our collection ratio. And we did get COVID relief that, that really helped us in a very difficult time of low volumes and high costs. And um, just a reminder that we need that NNB to smooth out the timing of the supplemental funding. And then I just added a comment here for the committee that, you know, with James, uh, you know, we really do have a positive and collaborative working relationship with Alameda County and AHS staff. So that was my presentation. Is there any questions? Yeah. Well, not so much a question, but a comment. I know this has been on the agenda before and gotten bumped, but I'm really glad that um, we heard it tonight. And I know it represents a tremendous amount of work to uh, track all the data and all of the back financial reports and get them synced. So it's apples to apples. And I just want to thank you and the team for doing such a terrific job and making it very clear where we've been and where we are. And it helps us to project where we're going. So thank you so much. Thank you, Trustee Freeman. Yeah, well said, Trustee Friedman. This is a, a Herculean effort. Thank you for this 10-year look back. It, it really also helps to underscore the work over time that it's taken, the, the planning from many different heads. And I think we're seeing the results and there will be more in the years to come. So it's exciting to be witness to the process. The final portion of our agenda tonight is a uh, contract, which I think we'll hear from Mr. Fratsky. Thank you, Trustee Esteen. It's pretty straightforward. It's just a three-year extension of our current contract we have with some changes with Telelanguage um, Incorporated. It's 5.3 million over three years. They provide us with our remote language interpretation, um, many, many languages um, that we utilize. Um, and they've been our provider since 2014. Our interpreter department um, really likes them, thinks they're doing a great job. They've learned how to collaborate quite well together. So tonight um, we're asking for approval of a three-year $5.3 million extension um, of the telelanguage contract. Ira, I'll pause there. Is there anything you have to add? It's okay, Ira, I think you're on mute. That's okay. 
Do we have any questions about the extension of this contract that we're hoping Ira can answer while he figures things out? There you go, Ira. There we oh. go. So sorry about that. I muted my phone, but not my computer. Thank you for that, and sorry. Um, all I was going to add, Mark, um, to your co um, cogent summary is that we did go through an RFP process in 2019 to validate that we were getting the best deal. This was determined, hands down, to be the prevalent vendor, and we have continued to feel that way. So that helps to bolster the reason that we are coming for a renewal request tonight. I move approval. Second. Awesome. Let's take a roll call. Trustee Esteen. Yes. Trustee Fox. I'm sorry, Trustee Blue. Yes. And Trustee Friedman. Yes. The motion does pass. Thank you. All right. Thank you so very much. And if there are no other questions or comments to be made, this meeting will be adjourned. Good night, everybody. Thanks, everybody. And thanks, uh, Jen, for uh, stepping up and doing such a good job. It's always a pleasure. Good Bye. night, everyone.